Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. It's an honor to have you gathering with us if you're online. Also so glad to have you there. Um, If you're a first-time guest, hopefully you got a gift on the way in. We just want you to know no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. We're so glad to have you. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God, and we do that by practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. We do that primarily through our weekend gatherings like you're in right now and our city groups throughout the city throughout the week. And so, uh, listen, no matter where you are, we simply want to meet you where you are and help you take some next steps on your spiritual journey. Now today, we start a brand new series called The Good Book. Who's pumped about it? Awesome, me too. You don't even know what it's about yet. But before we go to that, I've got a couple of uh, of other announcements. We've got a lot of announcements for you. October and November are some exciting months. So Ignore all of the things going on right now while I celebrate, okay? Uh, So before I give you the announcement about India, um, can I just celebrate for a moment? Over the last week, over the last seven days, we we launched what what we've been calling a 24-7 prayer initiative, where our church prayed night and day for 24-7 hours a day for seven days straight, and it launched last Sunday at four o'clock, and today we have hit 165 hours of straight prayer over the last week. Put your hands together for how crazy that is. People have been signing up. You show up for an hour and then two hours and over and over again, the midnight sessions, the 2 a.m.s on the other side of that wall back there. If you actually sit on the back row, you might even hear kind of the music still playing because there's someone in that prayer room right now praying for you and praying for our city. How cool is that? And so we only missed three hours out of an entire week and it was Wednesday midday because everybody's working apparently, right? So that is amazing. 165 out of 168 hours in a week. So The feedback that I've been getting over and over again um, is, whoa, it's not nearly as boring as I thought, because the pitch to pray for an hour sounds like just rough, right? But people get in there and they're like, an hour went by so fast, I wish I would have known, I would have signed up for two hours, and then people started to sign up for two hours, and then it was a competition. Everybody's getting in there trying to take a time slot before someone else gets it. And so like, no, 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 you, don't, you can't pray because I got to pray. And it was amazing. People have been sacrificing all week to get alone with God. And, and I just want you to like think about it, the sacrifice of relationships and the sacrifice of getting together uh, um, in that space. That's like what every good relationship on the planet looks like, right? Like every good relationship that you have is worth sacrificing for. Would you agree? <laughs> Some of us need to work on our relationships. <laughs> every good relationship is worth sacrificing for. And so this week, people have been giving up time, sleep, slots, energy, watching kids, someone else can go, all kinds of different ways to come and pray and be with God. And not one person has said, man, that really sucked, and it was a total waste of time. Everyone's like, that was so worth it. So here's what's happening. Uh, Because of all that God has done over the last week, Uh, We're confident of all the prayers that are already being answered and continue to be answered, but we are going to keep the prayer room open for, uh, yeah, just clap your, yes, woo! 
I love it. I love it. The prayer room's staying open at least through the end of October. Um, and so today, we've already got people signed up in the afternoon. And if, listen, if you haven't had the chance to experience the prayer room, I highly recommend you can jump on our website right now, see what's available. There's only a few time slots left today and then throughout the rest of the week. Now, the goal is not necessarily to, to fill every hour moving forward. However, one of the stories that have come out of the, the 24-7 prayer movement is that people start a, a week-long kind of initiative, like, yeah, let's just give it a shot, and then they just never stop praying. And so what God is doing is really special, it's really unique, and so I just want to celebrate, one, your sacrifice to be in there, but also to encourage you, hey, it's open, and it's there for you to serve you, to get alone with God. Now, before I move on to, um, by the way, the experience, and those, those of you that have been in there, like it's an amazing experience, right? Like really well done on the inside. Can we put our hands together for Danielle and Jenny who built that room? Amazing, amazing. Really grateful for all that God's done. So thank you guys so much. So excited to leave it open and let you continue to pray. Now, um, really fast, India. Um, I, I got back from India in September. I have this, you guys have that slide for me? I know you guys are working back there. Perfect. So, hey, if you are interested in joining us on a trip to India, it'll be next summer. We haven't set dates yet. We're having an interest meeting on November 5th. So the, the trip is roughly $2,500, including airfare and then the expenses on the ground. And this is just an interest meeting. You're not obligated to anything. It's just to get people in the room to say, hey, I'm interested in, in knowing more about what it looks like to go to India. I'm telling you the most impactful seven days of my entire life up to this point outside of meeting Jesus and marrying my wife. Come on. Amazing. And so I highly recommend, listen, I, I'm telling you, if you can go, you should go, unless you don't want your life to be changed, then stay as far away as possible, okay, because it's going to wreck you. But I highly recommend, if you're interested, November 5th is going to be our interest meeting, and this is just to gauge both availability and who's interested in maybe how many teams we have to take, um, as well as start talking about the dates around when we're going to go, kind of early summer, late summer, fall, things like that. So uh, if you can't make that meeting, there's going to be an email that goes out as well, just to express your interest so we can kind of keep track. But November 5th, mark your calendars right after the gathering. We're going to uh, take care of your lunch for you and just uh, get some interest rolling. You guys cool with that? Awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love, we are so clappy today. This is what happens when we pray for an entire week. You guys are excited to be at church. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Hey, so um, real fast, let me, this is a word from Mark Batterson, and this is what I think the prayer room has represented this week. I know you got to jump two slides, Kat. So Mark Batterson um, wrote this beautiful book on prayer called The Circle Maker, and he says that a change of place and a change of pace often leads to a change in perspective. A change of place and a change of pace often leads to a change in perspective. And I believe that is what has been happening in the prayer room. God's not more present in that room than he is at your kitchen table or on your lunch break, but a change of place and a change of pace allows for an opportunity for new perspective. And you know this because this is true of every area of life. You've got, you know, writer's block and someone, you know, they got to go in the mountains to shake things up or you're just stuck on a project. You got to get out and walk around, right? Over and over again, we do these resets to kind of help us figure out what's going on or to get past a roadblock. Well, often in our relationship with God, I think, again, this is not required to have an intimate relationship with God, but sometimes a change of place and a change of place can lead to a change in perspective. And for many of us, the prayer room has been that this week. That I've spent more time in prayer with God this week than, than I've ever in that, that kind of collective amount of time. And it's been amazing, not, not because God is more present, but because I'm more present, possibly. 
And so I just want to encourage you to pay attention to that. There's, there's a part of me. I took multiple 2 to 4 a.m. time slots this week. And um, it's, not to, not, it's not to brag or anything. Part of it was just like because no one wanted those at first, you know. But then everybody's mad that I took them. They're like, oh, Drake's got it again. Yeah, that's right. Take that. <laughs> Honestly, amazing. Sitting in there two hours talking to God and pouring. I mean, it was incredible. And part of me is like, I would do this every day for the rest of my life if I could survive it. Uh, it's really hard to sleep on either side of 2 to 4 a.m. But, um, I mean, it's that amazing. So that's why we're leaving it open is, hey, if it serves you well, awesome. It's not, again, more special in, in one sense, but I do think it's serving in a place of resetting our posture. Now, the goal of the series that we just ended, Teach Us to Pray, you can pick it up on our podcast and our YouTube channel. The goal of that series was not to learn how to pray, but to become people of prayer, that were being formed into the image of following Jesus and doing what he did. And I think that the practice over the last seven days has actually begun to do that in my heart. Would, would you say that it's been doing it in yours? Are you becoming a prayer? Yeah, it's kind of cool, right? It's amazing. Now, Sean Covey says it this way, and I think this is important. We become what we repeatedly do. Teaching is important. What happens in our head and our heart, it matters. It gives us a vision of the good life. But practice is where, 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 where our good intentions and our habits come together. And then in community is where those things all come alive. It's how we are formed into the image of Jesus. We become what we repeatedly do. And this is true of your bad habits <laughs> that we get really frustrated with. And this is also true of the practices that we put into place, like the prayer room. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, this I can see myself doing a lot more. And so I just want to encourage you in that space. Now, as we get into this new series called The Good Book, there's a reason for it. We, we pay a lot of attention to not only teaching that addresses our head and our heart, but also practice that gets from our heart to our hands to help us become and be formed into the people that Jesus is calling us to be. And so the spiritual disciplines, the practices, one was prayer, and we've been dealing with that. Now we're moving into the role of the Bible or Scripture in our lives. And as we get in there, I don't want you to miss that it's just as important that we become what we repeatedly do. But Jesus' words matter massively at the intro of this series. So this is Matthew 11 from Jesus. I just want to, I want to give this to you because of, of sometimes the grind that it feels to adopt a new practice. So Jesus' invitation for you and I, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, for those of you that have been following Jesus for a minute, and for those of you who are still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, this is his invitation for you and I. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is like an, a farming instrument where you pair two oxen together to do work. So Jesus is inviting us to pick up a new way to work alongside of him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Part of the prayer room experience has been getting alone to be with Jesus and learning to step into this invitation. How many of you this week have had the opportunity to, to, to see this invitation from Jesus be true over your heart and mind even just for an hour this week? Yeah? Come on, put your hands up. Yeah, look around. That's amazing, right? That's awesome. And, and this is the invitation of a learned stepping into the life that Jesus has for us. Now, here's why I'm giving this to you. Dallas Willard would say it this way. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. 
And so when you and I slow down in the middle of a week and we carve out an hour to sit with God, all of a sudden, things start to shift in our hearts and minds. And we are different people walking out than we walked in after being with Jesus. But it's also true of every other spiritual discipline, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life, which is really interesting because if we were just to take a poll in the room, anonymous survey, hey, what do you think the greatest enemy and obstacle to the spiritual life is, to following Jesus? We probably get a, a multitude of answers. But Willard will argue that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life, and I would argue the same. That I found in my, in, in, at that 2 a.m. slot, there's kind of this thing in me, like, where else do I have to be? I'm just like not in a hurry, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just have nowhere to be, and so I'm very present to myself and to God and then what he wants to do in and through me. And that's true at 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. But there is this constant space of distraction. Uh, one of our, our partners in India, so the trip that we're taking, the, the leader of that movement, they're seeing incredible things happen. They, they planted over uh, um, 80,000 churches in the last 10 years. They've seen over a million people come to faith and be baptized, and th that's just the start of what's happening in northern India. We asked them, hey, what's the biggest obstacle in your perception, the leader of this movement? It, what, what's your biggest obstacle in the West for followers of Jesus. And he said, distraction. People are just so distracted, they're so busy, they don't, they don't even have time to pay attention to what God is doing in and through and around them. And so, so that's the invitation of the prayer room, that's the invitation of the series that we're, that we're stepping into. Now let me give you the message version of Jesus' words here because it sits really well with the invitation in this series. Here's Jesus again in Matthew 11. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus is inviting you and I to get into step with him and adopt a new way to work, a new way to carry life, a new way to be human. And it's not without its challenges, it's not without its formation, it's not with, without the hard work of uprooting bad habits and becoming someone new. It's not absent of any of those things, but the invitation from Jesus is unforced rhythms of grace, receiving the love of God and letting it change you. Learning to trust that Jesus and his way is good and right and helpful and true and being unburdened by the pursuit and the distraction of the things around our lives that don't matter. And so listen, some of you, the reason we're starting here is because some of you have carved out and made some huge sacrifices this week. You're in that stage with little babies where you're exhausted and they're demanding and you have, you, you have no control uh, over, over like your sleep schedule and all of that. Or some of you are in a new startup and you're just grinding and you're doing everything you can to keep your head above water and be present to others and like eat something decent other than ramen while you, and others of you are, are, are in the middle of like, you know, coming out of midterms, you got finals, you got projects due in school, and there's demands at work, right? And so we have all of these things that are a little bit outside of our control around us. And the question is, how do we step into the life of Jesus, this unhurried, cool, like two mile an hour life with Jesus while being in the middle of the demands of life? And there's two things that we'll learn from this series. In some ways, you've got to continue to sacrifice 
to put certain things down to pick up the things that are going to be life-giving to you. That's going to be true over and over again for you and I. It's always true. But in addition, some of you are in seasons that, that Jesus has tons of grace for you for in, and, and you're just like trying to get through it and just know that you're loved in that space too, but just remember that it's unsustainable, right? You can't run at 110 miles an hour forever. You have limits. You're finite. And so what we're learning is the unforced rhythms of grace, both through practice, teaching, and community. You guys tracking with me? All right, so that's where we're going. Now, here we are again, the start of a new series, asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is so important. Not what your grandma said, not what you think, not what you read on Google, not what you learned from the History Channel. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And the very clear invitation from Jesus as not only the son of God, but also a rabbi, is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to what? To do what Jesus did, to become the kind of people that do what Jesus did, specifically asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to be with Jesus? It starts with relationship, to become like Jesus, that we're being formed into the image of Jesus, and then we are being empowered to do what Jesus did in the lives, or in, our, in our life, in the world around us. So here we are again, back to the same invitation. And so now we are back to the, or we're starting this brand new series, The Good Book. The Good Book. And it is looking at the role of Scripture in following Jesus, with our relationship with the Bible. And this is really intentional, and we'll talk about it in just a second. But here's a quote from John Mark Homer to ruffle our feathers this morning. There is no legitimate version of apprenticeship or following Jesus that does not have a central place for the Bible and does not read the Bible as scripture or sacred writings. Now that's a very strong statement from John Mark Homer that I agree with. But today I want to talk about our struggle with the Bible. Because while, while that statement can be true, and some of you might agree with it, and some of you might be ready to walk out wherever you find yourself in relationship to the Bible, listen, you're safe here. We're not afraid of hard questions. We're not afraid of hard conversations. And so we are trying to build a community, a safe place where people can address where they are in relationship to Jesus. And specifically today, what role the scriptures play in our following and apprenticing under Jesus. So when we talk about the Bible, that Greek word is biblia, which literally means the books or the sacred books or, the, or a library of sacred writings. And so we're talking about the Bible. This is this ancient library composed of 66 different books across multiple languages and multiple authors across thousands of years. And somehow we're supposed to put, our, like, like put that paradigm over our entire lives and live under its instruction and authority. Sounds pretty easy to me. Lots of Jesus followers struggle with the complexity, just the simple complexity of the Bible, right? Understanding it, being able to grapple with it. It's challenging, is it not? There's some weird, can we just acknowledge that there's some weird stuff in the Bible? Like, there's, there's hard stuff, and then there's really weird stuff. Like, that's not what you read for your bedtime story, or, you know, for your kids. It's not just casually, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You got to screen that stuff. So weird, we were just talking about our staff team. I can't even, I'm not even going to say it, because there's some stuff you're like, that happened in the Bible? Like, yeah, that's pretty weird, right? And so, so there's not only just the complexity of understanding, like some of Jesus' teachings that are not necessarily offensive, or they're just hard. Like, okay, Jesus, like, whoa, whoa, you want me to forgive 70 times seven? So, like, do I need to keep track? At 77, then they're out. I'm finally off the hook. 
You know what I mean? Or like, are you serious? I've got to keep forgiving the people that wrong me? That doesn't seem right. But then there's also like hard stuff like, you know, polygamy and holy war and like sexual assault and like the miraculous is just saturated throughout the scripture, which in the age of reason is already just kind of like a, a non-starter for many. And, and there are teachings in those scriptures at odds with both sides of our progressive conservative spectrum in the country that we live in, right? I mean, it's, it's hard stuff. And then also right now, there's a generation-wide breakdown of trust in the Bible as a whole. So to where for many, as they, as, they, as they evaluate following Jesus, the Bible sometimes feels more like an obstacle than an aid in our journey of following Jesus. A generation prior to uh, uh, much of, of what our room represents today, uh, there's a generation of people that, that would look at the Bible and, and have just a very a uh, simple approach of, hey, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And for some people, they went to college and all of a sudden found that that didn't settle, settle it. And then now we're in a place where like, man, I don't know if that's good enough. And, and what, what role, can we trust the Bible? That's what we're asking. And, and listen, it's not even... It's not even a struggle around clarity with the text, because that, that's part of it, right? It's just understanding it, man, like... Can we make it clear? But also, there's just a struggle because sometimes the Bible says things that are massively clear that are simply painful for us to wrestle with or painful for someone else in our lives, and we have a hard time with that as well. And so we look at the scriptures, and we start to wrestle with the struggle around what it says about identity and accomplishment and salvation and faith and heaven and hell and money and stuff and sex and sexuality and loving our neighbors and our enemies and justice and evil and food and drink and control and, and, and surrender and marriage and singleness, and you over and over again, there's all of this stuff that can be challenging and hard. And so then John Collins, one of the guys at the Bible Project says that we are, many people are becoming what's, what's he coined uh, post-Bible Christians. What we're asking is, hey, can we follow Jesus and ditch the Bible? Is that an option? And his argument would be, hey, that, that is a gateway into post-Christianity altogether. And so listen, this is a safe place to just wrestle with maybe some of the questions you're already asking, or if you're not asking them, there's at least people who are far from God in your life that are absolutely thinking of these things, or it's at least why they've stayed away, or don't consider anything you have to say about this Jesus guy worth considering. Now, many of us are asking, hey, is the Bible good, and is it good for us? Hence the series, The Good Book. So, many of you in the room um, might be working out your relationship with the Bible, and I get it, and I just want you to know you're safe and welcome here, and we want to help you do that. But work it out, we must. One of the challenges is to take the assumptions that we have about the Bible or an Instagram you know, uh, a video that lasted 30 seconds that gave us an argument in our belt that we have no idea is valid or not, and then we just build a theology around that and an approach to our understanding of Jesus in the Bible. And I would just encourage you, listen, do the work yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. We talked about it last week. The Bible is the best-selling book and the least read book in the entire world. Every year, it's at the top of the best-selling list, sitting on someone's shelf collecting dust. And so for many followers of Jesus, we've not even read the Bible all the way through to understand what it is that we're wrestling with. And so I would just encourage you, let this be an invitation to you to do the hard work and to wrestle not just with the Bible, but with who Jesus is and our relationship to the Bible. And so we could start this series saying, hey, what does the Bible say about itself? But that's kind of a non-starter, right? Because it's like circular reasoning. Like, <laughs> that doesn't help anybody. 
At least, at least not when, we're, when we have our questions and our whatabouts. And so rather than starting with arguments from the Bible about the Bible, we're gonna start with Jesus today. You guys down with that? Seems like a good place to start, all right? So let's start with Jesus. The short answer in this, like why are we wrestling with the Bible? Why, why the Bible at all when it comes to apprenticing under Jesus? And the short answer that we're gonna get into today is because we are followers of Jesus. Because we're followers of Jesus, the Bible has a central place in following him. Now, here's why. Jesus not only was, you know, son of God stepped out of heaven, born a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for the sins of humanity, was buried and rose again. All of that is true of him, but he was also a rabbi, as in like a pro-Bible teacher, okay? So his life, when we look, we open up the scriptures and we look at the life of Jesus and, and we see him in, in this kind of, the, that 30-year-old range beginning to call people out, the invitation to follow him was not just this casual like, hey, you probably got nothing going on, you wanna come hang out. It was the invitation from a rabbi to apprentice under him, to follow him, because Jesus' life was saturated with the Bible. From a young age, he would have, been, he would have uh, memorized the entire Old Testament that you and I have to, which is wild to think about. We can memorize movie quotes, but very few verses. That's why we get tattoos, so we don't forget them. That's, what, that's the whole point. That's a joke. Actually, it's not for me, but that's... that's, that's so Jesus' life was saturated with the Bible. He would read it, teach it, memorize it, pray it, live it, submit to its authority. His life was saturated. And so as a rabbi, as a pro-Bible teacher, Jesus had a relationship with the Bible of his day, which is our Old Testament today. And as we apprentice under Jesus to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did, the goal of this series, our goal is to have the same relationship to the Bible that Jesus had. You guys cool with that? That I feel a little better about. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. Now let's go to Matthew 5 and look at Jesus' relationship to the Bible. Now listen, today is just a starter, okay? So I might raise more questions and answers today. I've got one big idea for you that I'm trying to get into your heart, and so don't run away and be mad at me. Well, you can, but like, do your best to stick it out and, and walk with us on this journey of walking through lots of hard questions that we simply cannot do in one sitting. Now, Here's Jesus in Matthew 5, just one of many occasions where we'll, we'll draw on Jesus' approach to the Bible, the Old Testament specifically of his day, and we'll talk about the confidence of, of the New Testament and Jesus' authority behind that as we move into this series. But here's, here's Jesus in Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's a phrase referring to the Old Testament. That's Jesus' Bible of the day. You okay? You guys tracking with me? Don't think that I came to do away with, to abolish, to get rid of the law and the prophets. The reason he had to say that is because Jesus' teaching was so radical that some people thought he was coming to introduce an entirely new way and a new approach. So he said, hey, I didn't come to get rid of it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It's amazing. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. He's talking about, in the, in the Hebrew language, uh, um, there's these little dots that are smaller than a period in the English language. He's like, not even one of those is gonna pass away from the law until it's accomplished. Let's stop there for just a moment. A couple of observations as we look at Jesus' words, as he talks to the religious leaders and to, to, to those that have been familiar with the Old Testament up to this point. Number one, for Jesus, the Bible is a story that reaches its climax in him. So he looks at it as the story coming together I have not come to abolish, but fulfill them. So Jesus is looking at the entire set of scriptures saying, I'm here to complete everything that's happening up to this point. So Jesus, his relationship, his approach to the scriptures is that it's a story culminating in Jesus himself. That's, that's quite amazing. 
that, that the scriptures are not just this encyclope- uh, encyclopedia of truth, like, you know, look up something and figure out how to, how to address it, but rather it's a story, a true story about God and humanity all leading up to Jesus himself and his central role in relationship with us. You guys tracking with me on this? That's Jesus' first, I mean, just first observation. Second observation, still on the screen here, is for Jesus, the Bible was trustworthy. Truly I say, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Every scrap of ink, Jesus is saying, is valuable. And some of you are like, seriously? All of it? Because there's some stuff. (laughs) I'm I'm having a hard time understanding. You see, what's interesting is is Jesus didn't spend his time railing on the Bible. You go read the New, New Testament accounts of his life. Jesus had more issue with the religious leaders of his day and their misinterpretation and misapplication of the scriptures to life. And so for Jesus, number one, it's a story leading up to himself as the climax. It's really important to pay attention to. We'll, we'll look at it over the next couple of weeks. But number two, the Bible is trustworthy. The entire thing, Jesus doesn't seem to be like, oh, you know, that they got it wrong over here, but we're gonna, we're gonna kind of reinterpret it. No, he says it's all trustworthy. But then he doesn't stop there. Check it out. He goes on. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, those are the pro-Bible nerds of the day, practice and information you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the third observation, very simply this morning, is that for Jesus, the Bible functions as authority. That he submitted his life under the authority of scripture. So so the, the warning here, whoever relaxes or sets aside or breaks or ignores even the least of these commands, if you untie or you pick and choose and you say, oh man, we don't really have, to, that part's not important, or hey, you know, our context has changed and the culture's different now, so we've got to make it fit what's going on here. He says that person is the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices, whoever takes it seriously, the scriptures, specifically Jesus' teachings on the Bible, which we'll look at throughout this series, he says those people who devote their lives and practice to it, they get it from their head to their heart to their hands, those people will be great in the kingdom of God. For Jesus, there is a reciprocal relationship with our approach to the Bible, the scriptures, and then our experience, our living it out in the kingdom of God. So this is, kind of, this is a lot, right? You're like, okay, wow. So, so Jesus is, the, is, is kind of the fulfillment, like the climax. Everything finds its purpose and its meaning in Jesus, in the scriptures, but then it's also trustworthy and it's also authoritative, meaning we live under it as Jesus followers. It serves as a helpful guide to our lives. And then what's amazing, you read it on your own this week, is then Jesus starts teaching the Bible. Right after this, he says, you have heard that it was said, he'll give a command in the scriptures. But I say to you, and then he expands on it and helps have a proper understanding over and over again. You have heard that it was said, I say to you. You have heard that it was said. And more times than not in those spaces, he's not undermining it, he's clarifying it. He's actually saying, you've heard that it was said, you minimized it over here, but loving your neighbor actually cost you a lot more. Jesus actually takes the scriptures and makes them harder to apply, not easier. And he calls to attention our current reading and misreading of the scriptures. And listen, listen, the invitation 
is that we have to wrestle with the Bible. We don't take it, you know, just, just face value. There's lots to learn and grow in. It is challenging. It is historical literature. There's all kinds of different genres. All of that stuff is in there. You got to do the hard work. You don't take what Drake says for it and just run with it. We do that together. But one of the challenges is if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, this is just nationally a, a statistic that most people don't prioritize the Bible and read it themselves, so they really have a hard time wrestling with what's true and what's not or how to apply it anyway. But in addition, if let's just say you are in the room and you have a pretty good relationship with the Bible. Let's just say you're in it quite frequently, whether it's daily or you know, a couple times a week or whatever your relationship is to the Bible today. You probably don't read the Bible on a, a consistent basis because you love ancient literature. Right? That's probably not your approach. Why? You, you read the Bible because you love and you trust and you are following Jesus. So Andrew Wilson wrote this incredible book. And here's his quote from Unbreakable. He says, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. You guys tracking with me? This is our approach to the scriptures. That because we can trust Jesus and because of Jesus' relationship to the scriptures, we can have the same relationship to the scriptures. We follow the Bible, or rather we consider the Bible trustworthy, authoritative, finding its fulfillment in Jesus, all of those things because of Jesus himself, not the other way around. Now here's what's amazing, Matthew 28. This is after Jesus' uh, resurrection from the grave, died for the sins of the world, super cool moment. The 11 disciples go to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus sent them on ahead to meet here in this place. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, resurrected from the grave. This is crazy, but some doubted. I love how honest the scriptures are. They're all there. Jesus is alive. And some are like, yeah, it's Jesus. Other guys are like, I don't know. I don't know. And, and then Jesus came and said to them, now check this out. Look what Jesus says next. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the Bible. That's not what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me. So this, this is really interesting. I don't want you to miss this when it comes to our relationship with the Bible. Jesus says, I'm the one that carries all authority. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, then, then our relationship is first to Jesus. Jesus' closing not line is not all authority has been given to the Bible, therefore submit to it. Jesus is functioning as authority for all Jesus followers. What that means when we call Jesus Lord, we're calling him as like CEO or, or he's in charge of our life, right? He's the one over. So like when someone gets baptized and they go under the water and come back up, it's a declaration of allegiance to Jesus as king over their life. That he's got his hands on the steering wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, right? Like it's, trying to have some fun, guys. That was just, just plug-in for you here, right? So, so Jesus being CEO or Lord, that's the invitation from Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he goes on as a result of that claim, go, here's the command, go and make disciples, other apprentices of me, help people follow me, introduce them to me and this good news of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and then behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus' command following his claim of all authority. Hey, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if, if you've kind of declared allegiance to Jesus as Lord and CEO of your life, then we return over, over and over again to Jesus having the ultimate call over the way we live our lives. But Jesus has made the decision, in addition to the Holy Spirit and community, to mediate his authority through the scriptures. 
And before, before that sounds too weird for you, think about how all authority that we experience currently as humans is expressed through written and spoken words. There is a role for documents functioning as written authority. And so Jesus not only verifies the old, but we'll talk about the new in the future, that Jesus and his authority uses the scriptures as a mediation of his authority. You guys tracking with me? So a couple of preliminary observations to this series, just to help us in this, and I promise this is gonna get to where you can like use it on Monday, okay? So just hang with me for just a few more minutes. But a few preliminary observations. Number one, the scriptures are our covenant documents, the role of covenant documents. This is really important. If you miss this, it kind of messes up our approach to the Bible and our relationship to it. So the scriptures are, co- are what's known as covenant documents, okay? So we're familiar with contracts in the U.S., right? A contract. A contract is about mutual distrust. You sign a piece of paper, I sign a piece of paper to make sure you hold up your end of the deal just in case. And if you don't, then I got a piece of paper to take you to court. Mutual distrust, right? A covenant is about mutual trust, a commitment and relationship to one another. Marriages are often called covenants. They're not about mutual distrust, but trust of one another, a commitment to one another, and it has a relational foundation, right? And so the scriptures are covenant documents, meaning they speak to our relationship with Jesus. They are not a contract that you pick up and submit to in fear of not messing up this thing with God. Are you guys tracking with me? This is really important, okay? If the scriptures are covenant, here's what that means. It means that the Bible is not for everyone. Did you get that? This is so important. The Bible is not for everyone. The scriptures are covenant documents for the people that are in relationship with Jesus. Meaning, we don't expect people who are not following Jesus to act like it, or to even approach the Bible in the same way that we do. But you know what it does mean? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, the Bible is authoritative for you because Jesus is our authority. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bible can be true for others and not be authoritative simultaneously. Does that make sense? The Bible can still be true, but not authoritative over the U.S. or Boulder, Colorado, or your neighbor. It can be true, but not authoritative if they're not in relationship with Jesus. So again, when you're, when you're baptized as a Jesus follower, it's a claim. I believe Jesus is God. I'm following him, and I'm under his authority, and as a result, the role of the scriptures as well. And listen, this is all volitional. That's really important, right? Like, none of this is forced upon you. None of this is, is arm-barring you into a relationship with Jesus. All of it is volitional relationship and covenant. I trust you, Jesus, therefore I submit to your authority. And we're going to talk about in just a minute how we trust Jesus and why we trust Jesus. It's amazing. But friends, I don't want you to miss the premise. And and these might be really hard things for you to wrestle with, and that's okay. This series is built for the purpose of helping you wrestle these questions to the ground. So if things that I have set up to this point make you uncomfortable, you're like, bro, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, it's okay. You're safe. But wrestle with it. To obey the Bible is to obey Jesus. And to disobey the scriptures, to disobey the Bible, is to disobey Jesus. So that's the first note, role of covenant. Number two, the role of of Bible as authority. That's a a word that we all have allergic reactions to, especially in our individualistic Western kind of approach to life. You and I live in a cultural moment now more than ever where the highest authority in your life is you. 
And so then we have phrases like, I don't know if I feel like that's true. And all of a sudden, that's truth for you. What's true for you? That, man, we struggle. It's a hard, hard cultural moment. So one of the core issues that we're going to be addressing in this series is what does it mean for the Bible to be authoritative? Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust Jesus? Can we submit? I mean, this is a lot. And listen, can we just acknowledge how kind of bizarre all of this is? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you just need to know how much of a unicorn you are in the, in the West, okay? This is crazy. To come under the authority of Jesus and the scriptures in the world around you in the cultural moment, it's kind of nuts to adopt Jesus' view of the, and, and the scriptures' view on issues in our culture currently, like money and sexuality and identity and men and women and gay marriage and divorce and community, and war, and racism, and family, and you can go on the list of all the things that made people squirm. To come under that is pretty bizarre. And so then we've got to ask the question, man, can we trust the Bible, and can we trust Jesus? Now, I want to give you an example. Um, let's say you're rolling through a neighborhood in Boulder. It's a 30-mile-an-hour neighborhood posted on the sign and you're rolling at 55. And one of our loving, amazing Boulder PD friends lovingly pulls you over. And they walk up to your window and they say, hey friend, you know that you were going 55 into 30, the speed limit's 30. And your response is, well officer, that's your interpretation of that sign. You see, I, I feel like based on the visibility of this area, the low traffic you know, around here and the population density, that 55 is a reasonable approach to this area. He's gonna write you a ticket and walk off. That, that's all that's gonna happen because your personal view of what's true and authoritative in that moment doesn't really matter. It doesn't make it any less true. There are many things in the scripture that are as clear as a 30 mile an hour speed limit sign. You don't have to guess. And I know that makes it hard sometimes because it causes pain for us or the people that we love. And we're gonna talk about it. And there are other things that are a little more challenging, a little unclear. So let me give you just a few, a few helpful notes when it comes to authority in the scriptures. We'll, we'll flesh this out throughout the series. But when you look at the Old Testament, think of it, it's also known as the Old Covenant. Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, okay? Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, those are our gifts to you. The Old Testament, think of it primarily as the story of where we come from as Jesus followers. It's, it's no longer authoritative, no longer under the Old Covenant we see in the, in the scriptures. Whereas the new, as Jesus followers, we're under the New Covenant, the New Testament. So there's a place. So for example, you, you open up the, the Torah and you look at the 613 commands in the Old Testament and we today as Jesus followers, guess what? We don't obey those commands. So good news for you. Those rules about not having bacon, you're off the hook. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, right? Uh, uh, that verse that someone wants to throw, about, throw at you about tattoos out of Leviticus, guess what? You're off the hook. You're good. Listen, I know some of you, you're really worried. You got up this morning and you're wearing, wearing like a blend of polyester in your shirt and you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, go to heaven or not when I die. Listen, you're off the hook. You can wear blended clothing now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's just some of the crazy stuff in the Bible, okay? So, so like there's things in the Old Testament that are no longer applicable to us. And most of you don't even blink about it, but you gotta ask the question, well, why is that, why is that you know, not a command for today and some stuff is? And Jesus would carry over, we'll talk about it. Some, some commands in the Old Testament, and they, and they move forward into the New Covenant, so we don't walk away from those completely. But there are also universal commands in the Scripture. That means it's for everyone at every time. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't really have, that's a, that's a 30 mile an hour, you don't have to guess at that one. It's not like, hmm, did you really mean that for me right now with that person? Ah, I don't know. 
Jesus, if you knew them like I did, right? And then, and it, so when you look at the scriptures, right, there's universal commands that you can immediately apply. It's for everyone at all times. And then there are local commands in the scriptures, and, and it's pretty easy to figure out that you don't have to, like, obey those. Like, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, hey, go into the town and get me a donkey, right? If you're reading that in the scriptures this week, and you're like, ah, Jesus, I've got a final due this week. I don't think I have time to go to the Middle East and get you a donkey. Please don't be mad. That's silly, right? But, but you understand. Isn't it interesting that we can read that and we don't, we don't feel like this obligation to obey Jesus' command to go get a, a donkey? Or Paul's like, hey, go back to Troas and get my coat. And you're like, ah, oh, I knew I forgot something on my to-do list this week. There are local commands that, that don't apply. But then there's also commands that, that have a cultural like, nuance, like, hey, greet one another with a holy kiss. That, that's not a suggestion. So I expect some pucker in after church today, okay? You're like, that's massively culturally inappropriate, right? Yes, and so in some ways, we can look at the culture and look at, 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 at commands in Scripture, and we can obey the principle over the specific command. A holy kiss in, in context might, might be the equivalent of a handshake, at least pre-COVID. Now people are like, ooh, you know? But, right, the idea of, okay, maybe we shouldn't, you know, totally, the holy kiss thing, I mean, some of you are like, God, please let that be a thing. That would be so cool. One of you is like that, me and one other person. Anyway, um, Physical touch is my love language, guys, okay? Don't, don't hate. But, you know, there's like, you know, okay, hey, make sure that women have, have head coverings when you gather. Listen, you guys freaking, you missed it today, ladies. Where are your head? No, right? You're like, what? Absolutely not. I'm never coming back to this church. I can't believe he said that. No, you, you look at that, and it's a cultural moment. You're like, okay, cool. So we don't obey head coverings and holy kisses, but here's, here's the issue. How do we know which things are culturally relevant in one point that we can shift to a principle in another and then not culturally relevant over here. Like, hey, how can we can change head coverings and then, and then not Jesus' message around sex and sexuality? And how do we know and pick and choose? We're going to talk about that. The good news is there's a really short list of things that are unclear in the New Testament scriptures that we can wrestle with. And the good news is you're allowed to wrestle with it. Where we learn to obey in principle and not take it to a weird place. And there are some things that are unclear. We're going to talk about that too. But overall, I'm just trying to help you understand the approach that we can trust Jesus, we can trust the scriptures, and there's a helpful way to do it. But here's, here's, what, here's where we're after. As a Jesus follower, we believe the scriptures are authoritative. We do. And we believe living under the authority of the scriptures is what it means to follow Jesus. But we've got to flesh that out. We've got to do way more than give you a sentence on a Sunday because you've had plenty of people throw verses at you that meant nothing. And you've had plenty of people who know a lot about the Bible and live nothing like it. And you've had plenty of people use a verse out of context or make the Bible say something it never was meant to say. So here's our big idea, and Daniel's going to come up and play for us, and then we're going to respond in worship. Our big idea today is that we can trust the Bible because we can trust Jesus. And, and if you wrestle with that statement, that's okay. But that's the approach that we have to the Scriptures, and you're invited through the next six or seven weeks to wrestle with this approach. Now, we we read the Bible, we dig into the scriptures for the purpose of not just information, but formation, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did if he were us. And so we're looking for spiritual formation, that there's a posture in the West that more information equals more control. And all of us love control to different and varying degrees. And so one of the approaches, sometimes we get it wrong in our hearts. We're like, yeah, I got to get more so I have more control over my spiritual formation and what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus gives us the opposite invitation. 
not to gather up more control, but to give it up, to trust in him, to come under his leading and control as the CEO of our lives, if you will, and then the role of scriptures as authority at the same time. You see, information is not bad. We need it. That's why we do a series like this. It's just not enough for formation, and you know that because you have plenty of information about right and good things that have not led to you changing. How do we become the people that Jesus is inviting us into? And so I would argue today, before you wrestle with the scriptures and its role and all the different things, the greatest challenge that we're going to wrestle with today in following Jesus is trust, is trusting Jesus, which means giving up control. That maybe, just maybe, if he died for my sin and for your sin, he was buried and rose again. He defeated sin, death, and Satan. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he did it all for our good before we earned it or deserved it or even thought about it. If all of that is true about Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, the things that he says are true and good about life are actually true and good for you and me, even when they don't feel like it, even when they're painful, even when they don't line up with the culture around us, even when they don't line up with our own personal experiences and feelings. If I didn't agree initially with Jesus about the condition of my heart and my sin issue, I should not be surprised that I have other things I disagree with Jesus about. The question is, can I trust him? And if you can wrestle your trust with Jesus to the ground, you will work out your relationship to the Bible appropriately. If you flip that around, you might miss both. And so can we surrender our lives to Jesus leading and rule and reign and let Jesus and the scriptures and his love work in and through us and transform us and even heal us and change the way that we think? That's what it means to repent. And listen, we talked about it over the last couple of weeks, that Jesus invites us to confession, which is just truth-telling. You don't have to posture and pretend. Jesus already knows what's in your heart and mind. So you come to him and you be honest about your doubts and your what-ifs and your struggles and your, and your concerns and your fears. And you just truth-tell. And then you invite Jesus and his reality back over the things that you're struggling with. Now remember, the motive is so important here. This is not a slave-to-master conversation. This is a bride-to-a-groom relationship. This is covenant. This is father-to-son and daughter. And so we trust Jesus because he has proved himself trustworthy. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. That he loved us first. And we have the privilege of receiving the love of God and then letting it change us. And so listen, your relationship to the Bible, it might feel formal and stiff and, and hard at first, but you will find that if you give it time, it will, it will become relational in your approach to the scripture. So a couple of next steps for you and I today. Number one, commit to working out your relationship to Jesus and the Bible for the duration of this series. I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, because never in one week We'll be, we'll be able to tackle everything, and so we'll probably raise more questions and concerns and issues you know, that we can wrestle with each week. Number two, I'm not Jesus. So I'm doing the best that I can to serve you in this space and have helpful dialogue, but also saying, hey, I'm limited and with you in this journey. So we're not, so we're not, not throwing rocks, but on a journey together to understand what's true and helpful. Can we trust the Bible? 
but most importantly is, is your, just your commitment to wrestle with your relationship with Jesus. Who is Jesus and who are you to him? I would encourage you to start there. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I would encourage you to wrestle with your relationship with Jesus. Can you trust him? And let it work from there. Number two, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to read the Bible daily starting this week. This is not a new challenge. This is actually a growth rhythm we talk about as a spiritual discipline. As we follow Jesus, we normally suggest 15 minutes a day simply because it takes 15 minutes to do anything significant. Five minutes to slow down and be present to whatever's in front of you. Five minutes to actually read a passage of scripture and five minutes to respond. The Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you, they're our gift to you. There are, there's this soap tool that we use, which is, we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, a proper hermeneutic, an approach to studying the Bible that helps you actually get out of it something more than just your interpretation or just face value, something that you don't know what to do with. And so there's, there's little papers in the lobby for you in, in, the, in the next step section, Bibles, journals, the soaps tool to help you read scripture and apply it. And I would encourage you, listen, if you've never picked up the scriptures or if you've done that start, restart, or if you like some people, you pick up Genesis and you start, and, listen, it's not a book. It's a library of writing, 66 books like you walk in on a shelf. I would encourage you to pick up John start in John. That's, that's the fourth gospel, the, the narrative of Jesus' life. If you have not read the scriptures consistently, even if you've read John before, here's my encouragement for you, starting today, pick up John and read a chapter a day. You can do that within that 15-minute time frame. We become what we repeatedly do and discover for yourself who Jesus is, what he says about himself, what he says about you, how he interacts with humanity, who he says God is and what it takes to have a relationship with him. And my encouragement for you would be this. Get this habit in your life. Get this practice in your life. 15 minutes a day, a chapter a day, starting in John, and just keep reading through the New Testament. Left to right, you start in John and you will finish the entire New Testament and get the scope of the new covenant that we're talking about. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And you get to wrestle with the text for yourself a chapter a day. If you've never done it, I would encourage you, even if you started halfway, start in John and don't stop. And here's the last thing. Process your relationship to the Bible with others in your city group. Weekends and groups is how we do life here. But I would encourage you, good intentions get us, you know, a day into this thing. So if you struggle in your relationship with the Bible, you struggle even in practicing getting into the Bible, you're gonna struggle to keep a habit going of reading a chapter a day. And it might feel clunky and it might feel stiff and you're like, man, this isn't helping me. Well, you know, you do all that. If you have community around you and you say, hey, I really want to work out my relationship with Jesus and the Bible, will you help me? Guess what? To have someone text you on Tuesday and say, hey, how'd it go today? In John chapter two. Dang it. <laughs> and you'll read it real fast and say, good. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> it's helpful. You can't, you can't be formed on your own. There's no apprenticing to Jesus outside of community. And so these are the, this is just the invitation, okay? And I know some of you, right? Remember Jesus' words. Here, here's how we end today. Here's Jesus' words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you recover your life. Maybe for the first time for some of you, you'll learn what it means to be truly human in relationship with Jesus. I'll show you how to take a real rest.
walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. You learn these things through the scriptures, through watching the life of Jesus and his church. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The invitation to read the Bible is not this heavy burden to squish your day. It's an invitation to sit with Jesus, to hear the voice of God and let him speak truth and reality over you. It's an invitation to wrestle with your doubts and your fears and your struggles and your hopes and your dreams. Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Do you believe him? In that invitation, keep company with me and you will learn to live. It's a journey. It's a process. It takes more than a day, more than a service. You will learn to live freely and lightly. Let me pray for you. God, thank you my friends in the room. Thank you for their attention and their time. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that meets with us as we sing, as we work to become more like you, as we allow you to work in and through us. Jesus, as we sing uh, these next couple of songs, we respond both internally and externally. Would you move us to your agenda today? There are some of my friends in the room who have never made a decision to trust in you to look at your life and your death and your burial and your resurrection and to receive the, the gift of forgiveness of sins, to be made new, to be adopted into the family of God, to go from dead spiritually to alive spiritually. There are some people who have never trusted you for the free gift of salvation and relationship with you. And Jesus, you are calling their heart to that reality today. Would you give them confidence to trust in you, to say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life to lead and guide me, to save me, to set me free. And my friends, listen, wherever you are on your spiritual journey today, if you would pray that prayer in your heart and your mind, Jesus can hear you just fine. And if that is authentic for you, then heaven is celebrating over you right now. The old has passed away, the, the new has come. You're a new creation, and I want you to have confidence in that. For others, others of us in the room, we're apprenticing under Jesus, we're following you, Jesus, and we're trying to work out our relationship in the middle of what it means to follow you and live in the world that we're in right now and the cultural pressures and the pains that we've experienced and the misuse and abuse of the Bible we've seen uh, up to this point and maybe we've experienced ourselves or we've seen other people hurt and even just our own lack of clarity and confidence and how to read the scriptures and how to wrestle with the hard stuff or even just how to apply it for our lives and how to make Monday a little more in tune with you. God, we're all over the place in the room. And so would you meet us in the, in the place of our struggle right now? Would you move our heart to trust in you, even if it's just a little step in your direction? Maybe to pick up the scriptures for the first time and commit to walking through them and listening to you and learning and wrestling. Maybe it's surrendering control over something we've been holding on to. Maybe it's a way of life, a way of thinking, preferences and opinions that we have, things that we just don't want to give to you. God, would you bring our heart to be able to trust in you today, to surrender control, to open up our hands and say, Jesus, if you can forgive me of sin, maybe your way is right about this too. And God, would you use us as a community when we come together through city groups? Fill us with your spirit and help us to be people who are loving and good, that we can be full of both conviction and compassion when it comes to relating to one another and to the, to the people in the world around us. Jesus, may we be full of grace and compassion and truth 
that, that balance that is so challenging at times to look at a world around us and not expect the scriptures to be a covenant reality over anyone but, but my own heart. And then would you allow me to love people like you called me to? So Jesus, we invite you to do what you want to in the rest of our time as we gather and move our lives in the direction of being formed into your image. It's in Jesus' name, amen.